Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And Cole will be answering the phone. He just needs your first name and where you're calling from. And Mr. Kelly, before you take off, I see you're using your computer. Yes. Wow. So you got some hot news? Always working. Okay. No, I just, I'm correcting something I wrote in the last story. And then, there you go. It's all, fixed. it's all fixed now. So how are you doing with all this stuff? Oh, uh, pretty good. All right. Uh, you know, uh, we live in the country anyway, so we're kind of isolated anyway. So it's not that big a deal not to get out and be around a lot of people. Uh, I do miss going to restaurants. I do miss, you know, going out and having a drink now and then. And right. the hockey games, of course, I'm really, I cannot wait to get back to Enterprise Center. <laughs> and see the folks there and, and watch a game in person. So, uh, you know, just trying to take it a, a minute at a time. Right. You know, and, and just not think too far ahead and just deal with what you got to deal with right now. Yeah. I was. It's How pretty, about you? Uh, not too bad, actually. Mm-hmm. Tracy and I, we head out and we walk through parks and stuff that, like that. And I walk yeah. through the neighborhood. I've never seen so many people in my neighborhood. And. I was in Lafayette Square on Wednesday. People walking their dogs. Yeah, it's like incredible. Yeah, so, that's all there is to do now. You know, you, <laughs> the dogs. The dogs love it. Right. Their, their owners are home. They're hanging around. I right. mean, they, they, this is this is like they've gone to heaven. Perfect. Right. But yeah, it, it's it's difficult for a lot of people. I know, and and it, it's tough. And it really, the scary thing is the economy and all the people who can't work. Right. You know, at least I'm still working. You Same know, thing, from home and all that. Yeah. <laughs> But those who can't, boy, you know, like I was saying earlier, when I get out and start going to restaurants, I'm going to try to leave some really big tips because people are going to need the, the infusion of cash. And I think a lot of people will. You know, right. we're saving it up now, so let's go ahead and spend <laughs> it then. So. Well, great. Well, thanks. I'm glad things are going well. Can't wait to get out in the garden again. That's for sure. <laughs> Nothing's stopping you from doing that right now. <laughs> no, that's true. I'll be out there. Except the ground is so wet. Yeah, it exactly. is unbelievable. Yeah, and now another giant storm headed our way. Gee, many Christmas. Yeah, so we were walking in Wilmore Park a couple days ago, and it was so spongy everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. So. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's going to be uh, something to deal with for a while. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why we're here for, with you. Oh, you got to tell us how to do it. Oh, yeah. Stay Pressure's on. The... <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. 
Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns. Saturday morning, we get together and we have this roundtable discussion. And we talk about what's going on in your backyard. How about your front yard, your foundation planting, and that herb garden? Oh, it's so wet. All the herbs really look sad. The taste of the tropics, your house plants and potting mixes, how to improve your soil. Should you be doing some pruning now? Should you be shearing something? How about those boxwood? What's going on there? Why is it has so many interior leaves that are yellowish? Diseases and bugs and all that other stuff. Using information to make good decisions. My thoughts and orchestrations hopefully will open or solidify your options. With, of course, a final judgment of action going to be on your part. And this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your car, your home, or wherever you happen to be listening. As I said before, another very important player today is Cole, and he is the one who is producing. So he runs everything pretty much. He answers the phone as well, so he just needs your first name and where you're calling from. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation. Today, after the show, I'm headed north towards Alton and going to be doing a consultation up there. If you'd like to have me come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, anyway, let's get get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Well, I, you know, I always sort of like, as I'm getting up and having breakfast or whatever, try to decide where I'm going to take my stroll. But uh, today I decided to head to the corner of Hampton and Pernard. What is there? Well, there's a couple churches on the east side of the street, but this is on the west side of Hampton. And it's a National Blue Ribbon School. It's Malincrot Academy. And it's absolutely a wonderful place. As I stepped out of my car... I mean, it was still pretty darn early, but the birds were singing, and there was a bunch of rabbits. There was like four different rabbits running around in the school, you know, on the lawn and everything. And what this is is a special school for gifted instructions. They have daffodils all over the place in bloom right now. Really look good. An artistic metal fence runs along Hampton and kind of keeps people from just wandering in. And... uh, there are some pine trees there, and that's uh, kind of in between the parking lot and the school area, school grounds, I guess. And underneath those pine trees, there's some well-pruned yews there. And one neat thing I saw, there's something called, a, there's a huge sign that says uh, Bug Hotel. And they have bee houses and all kinds of other things there, and they're growing, and this is a big sign and it's, it looks like the kids had painted it, so it really you know, has some, a nice flair to it. And they have all kinds of, it's hard to tell this time of year what the perennials are, especially when it's dark. But uh, there's got to be all kinds of perennials there to bring in the all kinds of various insects and bugs and things like that. And a lot of deciduous trees around the uh, school grounds. And there's a garden shed there, too. And wheelbarrows are waiting to be used. Forsythia, near the parking lot, was in bloom. There's iris foliage that says, hi, we're just starting to go, and we can't wait to bloom. There's pots of all sizes and shapes just kind of dotted here and there and everywhere. There's a couple big upright junipers, and the juniper berries with that blue-gray color really looks, I mean, look good. There's a bunch of individual garden plots with raised board siding, 
and uh, all kinds of other stuff. There's a crab apple, first crab apple I've seen in bloom myself, and it's white with a kind of a pinkish center time. There's a, a log home, and on top of this log home is a bunch of ceramic, fairly small panda bears, polar bears, and a dog and a cat. So obviously those are something the kids get to play with when they're out there. Benches and chairs and log seating all over the place offer classroom situations. There's a trellis with a grapevine growing over it. And uh, there's compost bins. There's one raised bed signage that says strawberry in one of these individual plots. Strawberry patch and asparagus in the same one. There's lawn and mulch that covers a lot of the pathways and open spaces as well. Another bed sign says herbs. And it's really quite early in the morning, but what a great place to visit. And a little free library says bye as I was getting ready to leave. That's one of those kind of cases where I, it's not really a case, but it's a library where you can donate books or take a book if you like. So it was a nice day to be walking in the Mallinckrodt Academy for gifted instruction. So Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With all these things that are going on out there, I'll say one thing. My neighborhood always has a situation where, you know, the kids do, like, artwork with with chalk on the sidewalks. But now I'm starting to see that adults are sending messages, writing messages like, you know, everything's okay, blah, blah, blah. So it's really kind of cool to see I can tell they're adults versus uh, kids just because the way the letters are, you know, kind of shaped and everything else. Also, there's a hopscotch. So you can just go along and kind of give yourself a break and do a little hopscotch. I tried to do a hopscotch with flip-flops the other day. I didn't do so good (laughs) because the sidewalk was a little bit uneven, so I almost took a crash. But anyway, so it's nice to see chalk on our sidewalks in the South City neighborhood where Tracy and I live. Let's head over to Vicki's yard. She lives in Chesterfield. Hi, Vicki. Hi. My uh, husband went to Mellencrot, graduated from Mellencrot course that was – He'd be 88 this year. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, but um, I have a problem. I don't know if I have a weed or a plant, and there's about 20 of them growing, and they're about 15 inches tall. The leaf looks something like a marigold leaf, but uh, then it comes up straight with a stem, and it has a bunch of purple uh, buds at the very top. Would you happen to know what that is? Uh, you know, it's kind of tough just from your description, but I'll tell you what. Why don't you just take some cu- you know, cuttings and go to your favorite garden center and have them take a look at it. Yeah, I'll have to do that after this all blows over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, some of the garden centers are still open. Yeah, but I'm not supposed to get out. Oh, yeah. that's true. Well. Yeah. So I just thought maybe, perhaps, you might know what it was. Yeah, I mean, a, a guess would be it could be... Is it something that's not normally around all the time? It just came. Well, I've never seen it before. Ah, you know, if the leaf looks like a marigold, um, the, you know, that's really a tough one. I would, if I was guessing with the purple flower this early, I would have to say it was hen bit, H-I-N-B-I-T. So oh, why don't I'll you look go- it up in my book then, hen bit. Yeah, okay. it's a weed. It's an annual weed. It germinates. Uh, you know, the seeds germinate in August. 
They grow through the wintertime, and they're flowering, dropping seeds all over the place. And then when the weather gets hot, they disappear. But the seeds lay there, and then again, when the weather starts, the days start getting shorter in August, then they germinate again. And so there's those two different kinds of uh, annual weeds. One's a warm season, and that one happens to be a cool season. Oh, okay. So H-E-N-B-I-T. Okay, thank you so much. Certainly. Uh-huh. And now let's go to Ingrid's yard. Hi, Ingrid. She lives in Florissant. Hi. Um, I have the tag from when I planted hydrangeas, like several bushes years ago, mm-hmm. about 10 years ago. They're the endless summer, the hydrangea macrophilia. Right. Okay. And um, last summer, for because the, they're on the north side of my house, so last summer I decided because they kept drying out so much, I would put mulch around them, so I just went and bought all-purpose wood mulch because I looked it up online and they said that was possible to use that. And I put it around the bottom of the plants, like around on the ground and stuff. And when I went out to clean the leaves away from it, from all the trees in the neighborhood and, you know, kind of start getting things ready for for growth season, um, all of a sudden I'm finding like little sawdust underneath the mulch even. And it seems that something is eating away, and it's breaking off the um, stems from even last year, it seems. And so I had my insect um, guy come, and he looked, but he didn't really see any evidence of insects. But I don't know that it would be a wild animal because it was it's under it was underneath the leaves and the mulch, and I don't know. Is this just a lost cause and I let them all die, or... Is there anything I can do? <laughs> it's Well, it's tough if you had somebody come out and take a look. So this was a product that you got that was bagged and, and you felt f- fairly safe and secure about? Because sometimes you can get termites in your mulch. Oh, I bought it at the local hardware store. Okay, then it should be okay, I would assume. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough to, you know, tough to say. Just, you know, the sawdust could just be the natural breaking down of the wood mulch. But okay. so is it impact? It's not impacting your hydrangeas, though, correct? Well, they're. I mean, like I'm. I was going out, and all of a sudden, these stems were just coming off, like they had almost been chewed all the way through, and they were broken. Yeah, I mean, rabbits can chew things like that, and some of you know some of the other, let's say, mammals that we don't necessarily care, you know, care for. But you, they're right. usually not going to just, you know. They're not going to – hydrangea is not one of their favorite plants, let's say, to chew on. And this was kind of a mild winter, but, uh, you know, it's a little tough to say exactly what it, you know, what it is or what it was. Okay, so do I just kind of ignore it and let these go, and if they die, they die, and I start over? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's unfortunate, but, I mean, hydrangeas are pretty tough. They're clump growers, so – you know, unless all the stems are gone and they should be able to produce, you know, new stems coming up out of the ground. Yes, I have seen some stems coming up out of the ground. Right. So that's kind of so why I was clearing things away. This, you know, this, you know, again, it's a little tough to say what it is. Rabbits is about the only thing that chews anything that's, you know, close to the ground like that. And I'm assuming, I know you're in fluorescent, but, the, and deer's not a problem because, you know, you would know it was deer because deer droppings would be all over the place and everything else. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, there wouldn't be that. <laughs> right. So, in okay. a, in other words, I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. But uh, anything that's you know that feels you know you can kind of go through it and just you know cut anything off that you want to that you feel uneasy about and just uh, whatever you know breaks off breaks off. Okay. All right. I'll do that then. And just 
see what happens. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, that's a tough one. Okay. Man, I've had some tough questions. Hey, can you screen these questions a little bit and make them so they're a little easier? Thanks, Ingrid. Now let's go to St. Charles and go into Matt's yard. Hi, Matt. Hi, Mike. Hi. Hey, this one might be easier for you. Um, one of my gardening friends had told me that if I took my spent coffee grounds and put them in my plant beds, it was good for the soil. And I'm starting to, I've done this for about a month now, and I, I just kind of thought I'd get a second opinion if it helps or hurts. It doesn't hurt. It, I mean, it doesn't do a whole lot. What it really does is add a little bit of acidity to your soil. And also, if, you know, finally, if you work the coffee grounds into the soil a little bit, it, you know, it helps with the drainage. But beyond that, it's not, you know, it's, it's okay, but it's not anything that you're going to get have magic come out of your garden as a result of putting coffee grounds down. Right, but instead of throwing it in the trash, it's it's not a, not a bad idea, right? No, not at all. I mean, my grandmother used to do it all the time. She put her coffee grounds every morning in her garden spaces. So, I mean, it's kind of a something that's been done for a long, long time. Uh, sometimes people think when they add something to the soil, they should expect a whole lot of change, but you're not going to have that really with anything. But with coffee grounds, no, not a whole lot of change, but it certainly can benefit the soil. All right, that makes me feel better. Thank you for your advice. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's go from St. Charles to Lake St. Louis and go into Jane's yard. Hi, Jane. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Um, Speaking of warm winters, I've had green foliage from my bulbs showing since probably warm days in January. Mm. And now that I believe um, spring is finally here, my, my bulbs are not producing flowers. And I have a boatload of little grape hyacinths, and they're usually everywhere out in front, and there's only a few that have come up. Um, so I'm seeking your advice. Uh, so you're not even seeing, like, you have daffodils? Yes. Okay, so you're not seeing the buds coming up? Correct. So nothing, just foliage. Right. Wow. That's, you know, that kind of says to me that... Uh, the the daffodils are, I don't know how old this particular group is, but it sounds like to me they're just older daffodils and they're not going to be doing any kind of flowering. If they're not put, you know, pushing up any kind of buds at all, unless they're on the north side of the house, which is the colder side of the house, and is the foliage elongating? Well, I'm more concerned with my grape hyacinths. Yes, the daffodils are blooming, but the oh. grape hyacinths just have foliage and a lot of the regular hyacinths just have foliage. Yeah, with the grape hyacinths, I have some that I've had for several years, and I don't see any flowers on them at all. And they're usually one of the first. I mean, right. they're at the same time as a crocus. Right. So I don't know exactly what it is with mine. Were probably, well, I think I bought them when we first moved to this house we're living in in South St. Louis. So probably like ten years old. So I don't know if they have an age factor. I didn't think they really did, but uh, that's the only thing I can think of because I've been shocked that there have been no, you know, no flowers on them at all. They're, like you said, there is foliage. So the only thing I can guess is the fact that the the bulbs are just old. Well, they're they're younger than yours. Oh, I really? probably planted them three years ago, and a bunch of them last last fall. Oh wow! So I mean, yeah. they should be. <clears throat> Right. The, the only thing, you know, if they're producing foliage and you're seeing the foliage, it can't be because the bulbs drowned or is too wet. So I guess it's just going to be, you know, they're kind of messed up because of the, you know, lack of cold weather and everything else that they, you know, 
the the triggering mechanism just wasn't there. Uh huh. Okay. Well, better luck next year, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a long time to wait for something you really like. And grape hyacinth's oh, one of my favorites. You know, to be yeah, honest me with too. you. And uh, okay. Well, I shall wait. Thank you very much. Yep. There's not really too much you can do. And the regular hyacinths, I mean, that's, you know, the flower of the city of New Orleans. I like them, too, because, I mean, that fragrance is wonderful, but I, I don't have a whole lot of them. I only have about a dozen or so. And I'm just seeing the foliage of those, the regular hyacinths, just starting to kind of break the surface of the soil. So, Anyway, let's go now to uh, Gayla, and she lives in Winsville. Hi, Gayla. Hi, I have, I've been having my yard treated by a lawn service for the past, I don't know, five years. And over the past three years, I've had this like grass that's like thicker blade. It has like a prominent root going into the ground and whatever they put on my yard will not kill it. And then I've tried to go by and I guess use like a herbicide on it. And weed killer herbicide, and nothing is killing this. Well, if it looks like grass, and you have to use a grass killer, if it's a, if you're putting in a, a weed killer herbicide, that usually just kills broadleaf weeds. Now, I don't know specifically what it is. Uh, when your lawn service comes back out, ask them if this is an annual bluegrass. Does this disappear, or does this stay around year round? It stays around year round, and mm. actually, I got I don't I don't have a lawn service anymore. I'm going to try to do it myself this year to ah. save some money. <laughs> but whatever they've been putting on it has not killed it. Yeah, if it's a grass, you know, it's kind of tough to you know, if, because it's in your lawn. It's kind of tough to kill an individual other than just going out and spraying, uh, you know, a grass killer or a Roundup or something like that directly onto you know the things that you're trying to get rid of. So it's again tough to tell without seeing exactly what it is. So is there? Can I send anybody pictures of it? Or well, you could send me. Yes, you could email me some pictures. Oh, that would be awesome. Um, where would I send it to? Uh, just well, just go to my website, mikemillerdesigns.com, and there will be my email address, and you can just put them in as an attachment. Okay, I will do that. Thank you so much. Certainly, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have some phone lines open, so let's head out to DePere and go into Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hi, Mike. Um, I have an issue which I hope you can help me with. I have a a deck which, uh, when we moved in the house about 20 years ago, was built around a large pin oak. And the pin oak, um, as you will know, is not giving any quarter and has just grown and grown. Right. And it has spread and moved the deck some, and so I have to replace the deck. When we took the deck out, we discovered that the piers around the deck, the, the deck goes all the way around the uh, the tree. Mm-hmm. And the uh, uh, the piers that go down were not... Uh, not done below the ground. They were just sitting on small little concrete pads, wow. which means I have to replace the piers and go down beyond the frost line. Uh, but I want to make sure that I don't I don't damage the tree. Uh, you know, it's it's about three three feet in diameter and four stories high, and and it's great tree. So I don't want to lose it. I did live in Webster Grove some years ago. 
And uh, we put a deck in next to a big tree, and the tree died uh, in about a year. And so I don't want to do that again. I don't want to lose the tree. Um, is there any way I can tell or, or any uh, formula for, um, you know, how much space needs to be uh, away from the tree? Um, it's got a large root system, I know. Right. Basically, there's nothing you can do. I mean, if you've got a tree that large and if you want this deck to more or less hug the trunk, which I'm assuming that's what you're talking about doing, not necessarily touching it, but there, that's, it's going to be solid wood from the root system going out from the trunk where that is. So you're going to, I'm not going to say that it's going to kill the tree in a year, Why? how that happened to you, you know, the tree you're talking about in Webster, that it died in a year. But what it can do is just sever, sever some of the major root systems, and then you know, consequently that would just lead to a slower death. But there's not too much you're going to, you're going to be able to do within you know 20 feet or so to dig down you know, I'll not say at least 10 feet to dig down and, you know, to the depth that you need to, to get, you know, the footings in for the uprights and everything else. Um, well, I was not going to redo the deck around the tree. Oh. I was just, and I was going to leave a space like uh, two feet um, from the tree trunk, um, you know, so to, so that I wouldn't run into a problem with it growing and wrecking the deck again. Uh, but I, I didn't want to, but I'm going to have to put in about eight piers. Right. Um, and so I wanted to, oh, okay, so there's nothing I can really know about whether I'm hurting the roots or not. No, basically what you can do is just go out there, you know, and kind of probe around. And you more than likely you're going to just hit almost solid wood everywhere. Because, uh-huh. you're, you know, for the pier, I'm assuming you almost have to have the the concrete that it's going to be, the piers are going to be set in at least 8 inches in diameter, if not, you know, 12 inches. The, the piers are probably be, be 4 by 4, uh, they, they think. that's 4 inches uh, by 4 inches? Yeah. Wow. I would think the, the piers would be that size by 4 by 4 mm-hmm. uprights. And so... Yeah, I, you know, it just it seems like you're just kind of it's going to be a roll of the dice to do it. Uh huh. Okay. Well, thanks for your help. Sure, not much help, but uh, trying to be realistic. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's going to be just go out there and kind of probe around. But I mean, you're going to have to have the piers at a you know equal space and everything else. And I'm sure you're going to be hitting, let's say, solid wood underneath the ground. Let's head out to Chesterfield again and go into John's yard. Hi, John. Good morning. Hey, I got uh, questions about zarzia grass and bird of paradise. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, the zarzia. I grew up in South St. Louis, so two, about two months ago, I did the burn the thatch thing. The uh, the zarzia's starting to spout. You know, turn put up the little green things. Is right. Time to put fertilizer out now. Uh, it might be a little early because we still got some cool weather coming. So you don't want to force the growth beyond what it's going to just do on its own. So I'd probably wait a little bit. I'd probably wait at least till mid to late April before I put the first application of fertilizer down. And then monthly all the way through up until September. It likes a lot of nitrogen, right? Yeah, well, just yeah, just if you, having a soil test done will really help you know what you should be putting down. Yeah, well, I, I sort of did, but I took an average from the whole round, all the way around the house. Okay. And. The backyard's only got the zarzu, so I guess I'll do one for that, too. Right. <clears throat> the other thing is about the bird of paradise. 
I've had I've been raising them for like thirty something years. I wow. Propag- I propagate them and I I give cuttings to our church uh, basement sale. So I've got <laughs> I drowned one of them this winter. Um, <laughs> I was using the the leaves on the uh, plumeria to decide when to do the watering when I brought them in because the, plumer- uh, the plumeria kept growing up till around Christmas. Anyway, I put too much water on two of the birds, and I found I figured it out, and one's recovered, the other died. So the, earlier this week, I was taking taking it out of the pot, and I discovered that there are what appear to be rhizomes that are still in good shape. They're you know they're about the size of a carrot mm-hmm. in diameter, and they were firm. And then there were also some smaller roots that looked like they were okay. Uh, I've never done it that way. I've always just split them. So what do I do with the rhizomes? Uh, basically, the above ground growth, just you know, cut all that off. I'm assuming yeah. it's you know, in the dead you know dead shape or dead form, and just put it in a you know a good potting mix. And just bury the you know the root system and just see what you know what you know what happens. It should be able to sprout if you if these you know the roots and the rhizomes and everything that you're seeing have the right color and they're firm, then it should be able to sprout. What about rooting hormones? Should I try to apply that? Or what? I wouldn't fool with that. It's okay, n- it's not going to make that much difference. How long will it take? Before I know if it's working or not, uh, probably by midsummer. If you don't see any kind of sprouts at all. Then I would think, huh? Well, maybe it's time that is, you know, to kind of give it the toss. But there should be some, some, you know, after about three or four months of warm weather, you should see some activity as far as growth above ground growth. Okay, so put the put the pot with the rhizomes out at the same time I take the birds out. Yeah, exactly. Put them in a shallow pot. Don't put them in a deep pot. Don't put them in a big pot. Even just put them in a. I don't know how big the, the chunk is, even a window box or something like that, where and put them in you know the full sun so you can get the heat on the window box or the pot that you're going to grow them in. So because okay. the heat is going to cause you know stimulate the growth. Okay, I'll give it a shot. I'll let you know. All right, great. Sounds good. Hey. And now let's go to Saint Anne and see what's going on with Donna's yard. Hi, Donna. Hi. How are you doing today, Very good. I had, a, I had called in a few weeks ago and told you about my problem with grubs, and so you told me to put the, the grub X done around the end of March. Uh, so then when I put my seed, because I've got quite a bit of bare area, do I need to put compost down before I put the seed, or what do you, how do you recommend doing the seed? Uh, if, are you gonna, first of all, you've got to rake the areas before you bother putting the seed if you're not going to core aerate. Okay. So if you, know, you have to break the surface because the seed's... You know, just make it you know, better. And then just go ahead and put uh, the seed down, put a, about a half inch or so of compost over the top of that. And then if you want to, you can put a seed starter fertilizer on top of that. Okay. I can do all that at the same time? Pretty much, yes. Oh, very good. Okay. And then watering, how how much and how often I have to water then? Well, new seed, if, we're not ha- if we don't have any rain, it needs to be kind of kept damp for about two weeks. Okay. So damp doesn't mean soggy, but it means damp. So okay. until you start to see the blades germinate, then you you know just water. So I mean, if individual patches, you're going to have to just be dragging the hose here, there, and everywhere. Right. I mean, like we saying like thirty minutes. I mean, how? No, like no, that? no. Just keep you know, just keep it damp. Thirty minutes is probably too long. That would make it too wet. 
But, uh, okay. you know, about 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes every day for two weeks. Okay. Unless it's really hot, sunny, and windy, then you might have to do it for a little bit longer. Okay. And then this GrubX that I'm going to be putting down next week, hopefully, um, will I need to be cutting the grass? I mean, it's not really that tall. I have some spots that are a little bit taller. Do I have to cut the grass before I put the GrubX down? No, that really doesn't have... You know, the GrubX should be able to get down into the, because probably, I don't know what type of GrubX you have, but it might have to be watered in to get it down and, you know, into the, onto the surface. Right. Yeah, I did, it does say I have to water, but okay. I just wanted to make sure I don't have to cut grass or anything before I do that. Yeah, I mean, if your grass blades are more than like three inches long, it wouldn't hurt to cut. Okay. Okay, very good. Okay, well, thank you for the information. I appreciate Certainly. that. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Bothalto and see what's going on with Janice. Hi, Janice. Hi. Hi. Uh, I have a question about preen. Mm-hmm. Is that a pre-emergent? Yes. Okay, my garden center carries two of them. One's for garden. And the other one's just named preen, but it says do not use on lawns. So there, I don't know what the difference is between the two. So basically, preen is for bed space, garden bed space versus lawns, just in okay. general. Now, if the other one says, you know, that it can be used on lawns, maybe they've come up with a product that I don't know about. But generally, it's not one that you use on lawns. Okay, so do you know of a pre-emergent to use on lawns? Yeah, I mean, just pretty much any other pre-emergent, you know. Okay, because that's the only one they carry is that preen, so. Really? Yeah. Wow. So I'll have to go check another one. Yeah, you know, check someplace like hard, you know, Ace Hardware stores, you know, big box stores, all those places have the pre-emergents. Okay, thanks a lot. Plus, oh, it, is know, it too late to put it down? Uh, you're on the cusp. I mean, you should get it down as soon as possible because there already is some of the weeds, seeds, the warm season weeds that are already starting to germinate. So uh, normally they say don't put it down after April 15th. But with this year, we're kind of at the point because it's been so warm that consequently I'd get it down as soon as possible. It's going to stop some of the seeds from germinating, but it's not going to eliminate the number or the percentage that it normally would. Okay, so I'll try to find the other one. Right. Okay, thanks a lot. Certainly. And now let's go stay in Illinois, go to Staunton, Illinois, into Sherry's yard. Hi, Sherry. Hi. I have uh, landscaping on the west side of my house that was professionally done about 25 years ago. And the last 10 to 15 years, it's been terribly neglected to the point where I can almost mow it now. <laughs> um what would you suggest to kill the grass that's growing in there along with the other weeds um, that I am mowing? Um, is it best to you know, use a pre-emergent on that or, or a grass killer, or do I have to dig all the way down? <laughs> uh, basically, pre-emergent is not going to work because these things, you know, it sounds like it's probably a perennial-type grass, like a fescue It's just moved in from your lawn or something Correct. along that line. So pre-emergents only kill seeds that have germinated. So, or it's germinating seeds, let's put it that way. So, consequently, a pre-emergent wouldn't do any good at all. So, if I'm assuming there's shrubs there and everything else. So, what you can do is take a piece of cardboard, go out there with a, you know, all-purpose herbicide, you know, be it Roundup or whatever it happens to be, or a grass killer, 
put a piece of cardboard, you know, around the sh- each individual shrub as you're spraying around it so you don't get any of the herbicide onto the shrubs and just kind of go from there. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. It's going to be right. a lot of work. There's no there's no getting around it. And I've seen some people try to do it when they're using an herbicide, put plastic bags over their shrubs. Uh, you know, that's I'm a little bit, uh, you know, because they never seem to fit over correctly. So I would say a piece of cardboard and, you know, some of the some of the sprayers now actually, you know, the pump sprayers have a, like a cone on the end of the spray tip. So you can just put it right on the top of the plant that you're trying to kill. So that really works very well also. And now let's go to Donaldson, and that is Danny's yard. Hi, Danny. Good morning, Mike. Hi. I have two two quick questions. One I know is in your wheelhouse, and the other, if it's not, hopefully somebody in the X family would have a suggestion. The first one, I am battling the hen bit, and I've heard you talk in the past about putting a pre-emergent down like in August or September? Right, mid-August to, to late August. Mid to late August. Is there one that you like better than the other? Not for the most part. They're all pretty effective. As long as it's, you know, make sure that it's, you know, it doesn't have to list all the weeds that it's going to control, but uh, just get it down at the proper time. If it needs to be watered in, make sure you water it in. That's about all you need to do. Does, and that comes in a granular form, I'm yes, taking it? Yes, right. Okay. And the second question, we have been invaded by tens of thousands of the little ladybugs coming in through the windowsills. I didn't know if this was a garden hotline question or a Scott Mosby question, but it's been going on for about a month. Um, They're just relentless. I didn't know if there's any home remedies out there or if if you've had experience with them in the past or if there's any recommendations you'd have on them. Yeah, that's a you know that's a tough one. I would call you know a, a sort of an insect expert, you know, okay, somebody like that as opposed to like you know Scott Mosby or something along that line. Get somebody okay. out to take a look because they got to be getting you know coming in some way. I had a home in Webster and I had a problem with the ladybugs too, but it was only in the screen porch area where they were problematic, not in the rest of the house. So they got to be getting in some way. So fi- you know figuring out where it is. And, uh, you know, why they're coming to you as opposed to everything else. The early, you know, the warmer weather, I guess, just brought them out. Yeah. And uh, one thing I forgot earlier, the lady made me think of that. I've got some preen that's been on the shelf of the garage probably for 25 years. Is, it, is this stuff still worth <laughs> giving a shot or is it? Uh, well, it probably won't. Of- yeah, it probably won't hurt to put it uh put it out, but uh, I don't know how effective it's going to be because it's probably got humidity even if the bag is you know, sealed and everything else. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Certainly. My pleasure. So I think that's probably the last call we're going to be able to get this hour. But here's some of the annual cool season weeds when, you know, like with the hen bit. If you look out there right now in your yard, you see, you know, hen bit, chickweed, annual bluegrass, prickly lettuce, the Persian speedwell, that's a, a really flat plant that has small bluish flowers. Rabbit's foot clover, shepherd's purse. So those are the ones the seeds germinate mid to late August, and then consequently you put the pre-emergence. Now the pre-emergence that you'd be putting down now when the forsythia is in bloom, that's for spurge, ragweed, purse lane, knotweed, lamb's quarter, uh, black medic, 
carpet weed, crabgrass, barnyard grass, goose grass, foxtail, which is a type of grass too. So just realize those. Also, if you have, you know, the wild onions or wild garlic, I guess technically it's garlic as opposed to onions, coming up in your yard, just realize that, you know, getting rid of that, it's not a perennial. It's basically when the weather gets really warm, it sort of disappears, so it goes below the ground. But it does have little kind of onion-like bulbs, and then it just kind of, you know, hunkers down below the ground for the entire uh, hot season. But, I mean, I've seen some yards where it's pretty darn tall. So you can get out there, you can dig it up, or you can just, again, spray an herbicide, systemic-type herbicide on it, which will actually step on the foliage, kind of grind it a little bit, then spray the herbicide on it. Then it'll go down through the leaves, down into where the bulbs are, and kill it out that way. But it is, you know, going to sort of disappear. You're going to kind of forget about it. So just realize that that's one of the things that... uh, you know, occurs. And uh, questions again, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We'll be back after the news. Man, what a day this is going to be. Hopefully the storm won't be nearly as bad as what they're saying it will be. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline, tip of the trial hour, which I'll be giving shortly. But right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And, Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes, uh, are you going to be able to get out of here before the storm potentially hits at noon? Or It'll you... be right around then. Uh, the, the big storms aren't supposed to come till this evening more ah. so. So I think we'll. I should be able to get out of here okay. And get home okay? Yeah. Have you seen the pictures from Jefferson City? No. Yeah, they had like, well, I saw, I've never seen this before, teacup-sized hail. What? Yeah. Apparently, that's like three inches. No but way. But there were some, there were some softball-sized hail reported. And uh, you can see That would tear pictures. everybody's roof up. The cars, windows, gone. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it was Whoa. really bad. Uh, Wentzville, I think, had some pretty good-sized hail last night, too. Really? So, yeah. Man. Serious stuff. This is crazy. Yeah, that time of year. This, yeah, this warm. I mean, I've never really sort of gotten up this late or late March and, you know, turned on the computer and it says it's 80 degrees, basically. Yeah. Or you know, I'm exaggerating, but Not it was 70. Much. Yeah. Yeah, right. It was seventy. It's you know six this morning, and it just has that feel to it. You right. know, you can you can feel the the fuel in the air. It's right, just that thick kind of yeah, the humidity, humidity for sure. Right, yeah, so crazy. Yeah, be ready today and keep it on KMLX, and we'll keep you up to date. <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Yes, folks. Uh, by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, caring for the ups and downs related to annuals. Speaking of annuals. The pansies I have are not liking this heat at all. They are really taking a beating. They're really, they're short of breath and they're, oh, they're really kind of don't look so good. How about your bulbs? You know, we had a couple calls about uh, grape hyacinths. And if you don't know what a grape hyacinth is, it's a smaller hyacinth. It's kind of a pale purple flower, usually blooms early in the Earlier in the spring, your edibles, ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. 
across the big board is Cole, and he answers the phone. So when he answers the phone, he just needs your first name and where you're calling from. And during the weekend, weekends, I spend my time doing landscape consulting where I can come to your home and do a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home, and you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage is where my email address and phone number is. Today, after the show, I'm headed up towards Alton and going to do a walk and talk up there. The tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. 636-861-3344. Well, the tip of the trial, we've kind of heard this talked about a couple times already today, but it's Tree Takeout Tuesdays. And that's by Forest Relief. And what it is is a drive-through service on March 31st, which is a Tuesday, obviously, and April 7th. So what they do is you can go purchase your trees at shop.moreleaf.org. So it looks like more leaf, but shopmoreleaf.org, but it's really Missouri Relief. And then you can pick up your trees in uh, the community tree Community Tree <laughs> Gardens. And where is that? Well, that's at 2194 Crevecore Mill Road. And that's in Crevecore Park. And that's where Forest Relief has all their, basically all their stuff there. So you can share your experience with hashtag tree takeout. So it should be, you know, great fun. Order your tree, then just drive up and they'll bring your tree out to you. You don't even have to get out of your car or anything else. But uh, Forest Relief is quite the organization. And uh, kind of a kind of a cool, cool idea to come up with. So especially when things are like this. Let's take a couple of calls before we go to on a break. Let's go to Bill's yard, and he's in South City. Hi, Bill. Good morning. Hi. Um, I've got a crepe myrtle bush that I've had for several years, so it's a it's a good sized bush, mm-hmm. and I'd like to split it in two. Uh, it's still dormant. Do I? Can I do it now? Do I wait till it starts sprouting? Uh, what's the best way to take care of that? I would do it as soon as possible. Okay. Now, as far as splitting it, you want to split it because? Well, I'd like to give half of it to someone else. Okay. Uh, it is, a, like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a good-sized bush, so it's on half of it is, is substantial, and it'll obviously grow a little bit bigger as time goes on. Right. So just basically what you want to do is take a pie wedge out of it. Uh, Okay. So that's the best thing to do. Ideally, you could, you know, if you can dig the whole thing up, then you can kind of find out where the root systems are, where the stems are coming up, where the crown is and everything else, and do it that way. But if if it's too much work to do that, then just, uh, you know, cut a section out where you're getting plenty of, you know, Above ground growth, but also hopefully there's going to be plenty of below ground growth too. Okay, and then just cut out the section with a with a saw because it is a woody uh, woody plant. Well, if you got a sharp spade, you should be able to drive the spade down in it. Oh, okay, okay. So, I mean, it's not going to be. This is not going to be. The reason why I ask is because this is not going to be an easy job. Well, I understand that. That's part of why I'm asking the question. <laughs> Which what would be the best way to go about doing it? Right. So, what you know, while the ground is moist and everything else, and uh, you know, then I would probably pot it up, and you know, I don't know what how big the section is you're going to give, but uh, maybe in a you know five gallon pot or a three at least a three gallon pot with some potting mix, and then tell them to leave it in the you know, in the pot for a year or so. 
don't oh, plant don't it directly plant. into the ground. I'd leave it in the pot to see if it's going to be able to acclimate and be able to put out some new growth. Unless okay. they've got a spot already ready and you know ready to go, so they can just take it directly from your, let's say, division and put it in their landscape. But I, anytime I do any kind of, you know, let's say dividing of anything, I like to put it in a pot for a year and then have them just dig a hole in a garden space and drop the pot down into the hole and just see what's going to happen. Okay. All right. I thank you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's go to Mary, Jane, Mary Ann, and she lives in South County. Hi, Mary Ann. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, my, my question is, last fall I had to dig up a clematis because we were planting a tree, and I put it in a pot, and now it is, you know, it's growing out of this pot, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to figure out where to plant it. I have an arbor that has Pachysandra all around it, and I was thinking, could I leave a clemat- my clematis in a pot permanently so it could kind of grow up the outside of this arbor? Otherwise, I would have to dig up my Pachysandra area. Right. Which, How big's the um, pot? Well, right now, it, the pot isn't very big, but oh. it's just it's just coming. I stuck it in there last fall, figuring it. I, I'm ready to put it into a pot, so I can put it into any size pot. It's right now. It's probably about six inches tall. It's kind of growing um, out of the pot. If yeah, so, that's way too small for a pot, you know, to, to grow it permanently. But if you're going to do that, you know, get a fairly large, you know, just black plastic nursery pot, three to five gallon roots. Uh, clematis have massive, you know, pretty big size root systems, and consequently, what I would do is. And they don't like wet, uh, really wet soils. So to me, if how's your pack of Sandra look? Oh, I guess she cut off or something. But anyway, if your pack of Sandra, pack of Sandra generally likes to grow where there is shade, and clematis doesn't like shade. So that's a situation where. Uh, you know, I'd be a little bit concerned. I would, myself, I would just take, you know, dig up the Pachysandra, plant the clematis in the ground, and then put the Pachysandra back around the clematis. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Folks, let's, let's head out to Melville and go into Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Mike. Hi. I knew you were going to do that as soon as I put a donut in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Hopefully it was a chocolate donut. Well, it was a cream-filled donut uh-huh. from the donut stop out here in South County. But anyway, my question is, um, when can I put my inside, like, plants out? I have a deck, but it's covered, so it would be in shade. And then also, do I start putting the um, compost in my garden and tilling that over? Uh, you can do the compost whenever. You, it's a little bit wet to be doing it right now, but as soon as the right. soil starts drying, you can add it immediately right then. As far as your house plants. I think I looked at a kind of an extended forecast. We're looking at uh, maybe a couple of some of the days where it's going to get down right at the freezing point. Oh. It probably won't do any damage. But, you know, in theory, the safest time to do it would be after April 15th. That's the frost-free day. But I've got a couple, you know, that are in the basement under the grow lights, and I've been considering taking them out myself and just putting them, you know, in a somewhat of a protected spot. And it sounds like since you've got a... 
you know, where you're going to move them to is going to be a protected spot, so they're not going to get sunburnt or anything. Right, right. And I, and I don't do well with, with house plants. I haven't done well with my garden, but I'm trying. But so I'm thinking, <laughs> I've kept these from like October, and I'm like, please hang in there, please hang in there. Wait till the weather breaks, and I'll take you outside. <laughs> I wait. Yeah, wait for another week or two, and that way you should be safe. Okay, <laughs> I hope so. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Enjoy Bye. your donut. <laughs> uh, let's go to Pat, and Pat lives in Franklin County. Hi, Pat. Hello, Mike. Thank you very much for taking my call. Sure. Uh, last fall, I purchased uh, a home with three acres heavily sloped, and I am currently at war with the bush honeysuckle. Um, but in cleaning out one side of the home, I've opened up a view to the neighbors. And then he and I have talked about possibly putting in um, a barrier-type plant. He suggested possibly the giant, a green giant arborbites. Um, do you have any suggestions or thoughts uh, of alter, alternative plants? I'm a little concerned with the total height that they may grow to. Well, there are, you know, some of the arborvitae that won't get as big as those guys. So some of the techni arborvitaes, uh, the people, you know, are a little bit hesitant with the arborvitaes in general because they, you know, if we do have a major ice storm, sometimes the weight, you know, can cause them to split apart. So how tall do you need something to be? Uh, you know, 20 foot. Probably what I would do is look at uh, some of the upright junipers. Okay. So, and okay. you know, juniper like get the ju- the upright junipers from China. Don't get the ones that are native to here because they're much more prone to, you know, cedar apple rust and a few other problems. But the upright yeah, junipers, would, you know, I would say that would probably be my choice. Plant them. Don't plant yeah. them in a straight line, or do a mix with the arbor. You know what you're talking about, and do a mixture because it's a natural setting. Just a straight line of one thing is going to look kind of out of place. Yes, and that's uh, it's only about a 50-foot area. I mean, we've got huge distance between most of our homes. This is the actually the only home we can I can see. Wow. And if it's just to, to well, it, everybody's got about three acres, so. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, the, uh, they grow fast, and they seem to be pretty much, from what I've read, deer-resistant, which is an issue uh, out in Franklin County, obviously. So are the junipers also fairly deer resistant? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, because they're, I mean, they don't have the classic kind of needles, but uh, they, they're prickly and the deer don't necessarily like them. So I would, you know, again, look at like the Hetzi, H-E-T-Z-I-I, upright juniper. So it's juniperus, chinensis, Hetzi. It's going to get about 15, 15 feet high and uh, maybe mix in, you know, like every third one. Put you know put the uh, you know the arborvitae in if you want to have those in there as well. Okay, I've only got about fifty total feet, so I really doubt that I need with size of these trees th- that I need a lot. Right. It's just it depends upon how patient you are. Like I said, don't plant them in a straight line. Plant them in a zigzag yeah. and put them about uh, let's say eight to ten feet apart. Okay. Thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's see, where do we want to go? Let's go to Bethalto. Wow, second time today. Lynette, how are you today? Good, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. Uh, well, your uh, 
caller before last kind of answered my question. I'm dying to take my plants that I've wintered over uh, out, Mm -hmm. and I hear you said April 15th. Um, That's the classic frost-free date. So that doesn't necessarily mean, but uh, when you move them out, definitely don't put them in direct sun whatsoever, even if they're, you know, direct sun tolerant. But once they come from inside and go outside, you got to put them in a part shade situation for at least a couple of weeks to let them acclimate, to, you know, to the brighter light. Right. Okay. Also, um, I have a very old ficus. And it just barely hangs on, but it's kind of a sentimental thing <laughs> that I'm keeping it. I'm wondering, um, it's never been outside, and I'm just wondering if, if I did take it outside, would you recommend doing that um, just to see if maybe it would come come around? Um, you could. I mean, it's, it's you, you're taking a chance if it's been inside for a, an extended period of time, you know, to go ahead and take it outside. And just make sure if you do that you have it anchored enough that it won't get blown over. I'm assuming you're talking about the the fiddle leaf fig. Maybe it's not the yeah. fiddle leaf. That's a big leaf one. Or are you talking about the smaller leaf one? No, I guess it's a smaller leaf. Okay. So just so it's just uh, you know it's up to you depending upon what you want to do. It may you may help it. It may revive it. It may you know kind of send it to who knows where. I was kind of hoping um, it would revive it. Yeah. So I might give it a shot. Yeah, just just keep it. Don't ever, basically don't put it in full sun at all, you know, through the entire growing season. Just keep it in a part shade situation. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Yep. Good luck. Okay. Bye-bye. And now let's go to O'Fallon, Illinois, and see what's going on with Roger. Hi, Roger. Good morning. Hi. Um, Les. I have a large lawn and a small horse pasture. Last fall, I was intending to aerate it and put the uh, compost in, and long and short, it didn't happen because I couldn't get the machine when I needed it. And should I address that this spring? Should I? Would it be as well to aerate now? Should I put the compost in, you know, after I aerate it, or or skip the aeration and composting and do it all next fall? No, you could do it now. Just, I mean, get it done as, you know, as quickly as you possibly can. And adding the compost would be as effective as in the fall or almost. Or... Right. Okay. So, I mean, compost is basically what it's adding is texture to your soil, nutrients to your soil, and all kinds of things like that. So sometimes even doing it twice a year, you know, once in the spring, once in the fall, is to the advantage of, the you know, whatever you're trying to grow. Okay. That sounds good. And I guess the second question I uh I haven't mowed yet this year, and my lawn is, it's not shaggy, but it's certainly, if we get all this hail and moisture over, you know, starting this afternoon, should I make an effort to get it done before before that arrives? No, you know, I mean, ideally, if you wanted to, you could. It's not going to make that much difference. So, but, you know, the first cutting, I'm gonna, do you have fescue and bluegrass, or do you have a zoysia? Yeah. Fescue, bluegrass, and weeds. Okay. So, yeah, set your mower blade at about any place between two and a half and three inches and just kind of go over it first time, you know, for the first cut. Okay. That sounds good. Thanks for your help, Mike. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's go over to Belleville and see what's going on with Peggy. Hi, Peggy. Hi, Mike. Hi. I live on a corner lot, so I have two side streets, Mm -hmm. and neither one of them have curbs. Well, last fall, the water company replaced the water mains and repaired the yard as as they do, 
And then the city resurfaced those two roads, and the heavy trucks and equipment have left six to eight-inch deep ruts on both sides of my property. It is so soft, it's like three to four inches, uh, three to four feet up into the yard. It's almost like quicksand. How can I fix this? Uh, basically, you can't do anything right now because it's way too wet. Right. But what you're going to have to do is have somebody come out or yourself, if you had to have a rototiller, the areas that have been rutted, you're going to have to rototill those. Then you're going to have to bring in some compost, topsoil mix, and backfill it. So you can't just fill the ruts. You've got to break the existing soil up first and then add the other stuff to get it all leveled out. And a rototiller is the best to use? Yeah. Okay. And then how do I spread this? Compost. Uh, basically, you're going to get, a, it's going to be basically, it sounds like you've got to have a whole lot. So you're going to get compost topsoil mix. So just don't get compost. Oh, okay. And you know, you're in Belleville, so St. Louis Composting has got a location there on Mine Hall Road. I know but, them well. <laughs> okay. So that's, you know, just have, find out, measure the, all the area that you're going to, you know, you're going to need. Let them figure out how much you need and just have them deliver it. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, a couple people have called in saying, you know, deer will eat junipers. Yes, severe winters where there's nothing else to eat, they will. But, deer, you know, junipers are in general are considered ones that deer stay away from most of the time. Other, th- other woody plants that deer stay away from, as far as evergreens go, gold thread branch cypress, uh, American holly, the junipers, as I said, uh, blue spruce, those are the major ones that are evergreens. So severe winter, you know, if they're desperate for food, they're going to eat them. But in general, they just don't graze on them like they do a lot of other things. Let's head now to Westport and see what's going on with Chuck. Hi, Chuck. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Last fall, I've got a zoysia yard, and last fall when I cut the grass down, like I usually do, I discovered several patches of uh, what appears to be fungus. I called in. You suggested to inspect it to make sure it's not the bugs, and I did, and it's not. And then you suggested in the spring to uh, get some fungicide down right away. So my question is this. It's so wet right now. I was getting ready to do this, but... um, my yard's one of those that retains water, so it's like walking on a wet sponge Ooh. and, you know, these rounds of rain that we get, you know, every four days or whatever. It's right. just not really drying out. So I didn't know if I need to wait till the yard does get dried out a little bit to put the fungicide down or if that even matters. Uh, basically, if you put it down when it's so wet, it's not going to do a bit of good. Also, I'm assuming that yours is starting to green up. So probably, you know, just, you're just going to have to hold off or it's you'd just be wasting your time and effort and money. Okay, so just hold off until I get enough dry time where it's reasonably dry to put it back down. Right, and if, if it sounds like your yard is always going to have or generally will have fungus problems because if it's, you know, spongy a lot, then that's problematic when it comes to a fungus circumstance. So it's maybe uh, treating every year kind of thing depending right. on what I see. Right, exactly. Right. Okay, that was my question. Thank you so much. All right. And if anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head a little bit further north from Westport and go to Florissant. Hi, Larry. Uh, morning, Mike. Hi. The, the area I've got, the perimeter is sedum, and in the middle I have yuccas. But you know what the yuccas do. They breathe like rabbits, and they're crowding out my sedum. When's the best time to transplant some of my sedum? 
uh, basically as soon as possible. So are okay, you trying well, to pr- transplant it to a new location, or are you just... Yeah, so there, well, it'll still get plenty of sun, but it's just on the other side of the porch there. Okay, yeah, yeah. as soon as you possibly can. I mean, the okay. new growth, I mean, they are starting to show some growth, but they're yeah, not... it's just now starting to show some growth, yeah. Yeah, so this would be a good time to do it. Okay, well, thank you. Yep, and okay. now let's go to Benton, Illinois, and into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. You know, our forsythia are in bloom, but our hen bed are probably three inches high. <laughs> so I don't think a pre-emergent, I'm not sure, of course, I don't know, but what do you think? And what what else could I do? Um, basically, with the hen bed and th- stuff like that, other than just spraying an herbicide directly onto them, that's about all you're going to be able to do. Okay. And all that's going to do is kind of suppress the amount of seed because it's probably already dropped some seed. And just next year, next or not next year, this year in August, get the pre-emergent down. Okay. I have a bag of weed and feed that's like 28, the formula is like 2804. Would that do any good? Uh, basically not. I mean, it would help a little bit, but... Uh, uh, the, I mean, this this an, an cool season annual weed, and it's just I mean the herbicide, you know, killing it. You you, you could try it, but I don't think it's going to do all that much good. I would okay. you know just use an herbicide directly and spray it right onto it. When you say herbicide, what is, is that Roundup or what is? You that? could use Roundup. You could use you know any kind of anything that will kill a broadleaf weed. I like Roundup because it get you know. It's just a little bit more effective, quicker. That's why I like it. But uh, yeah, I mean, you could just you get a you know a weed be gone type thing. Okay. And okay. the reason why I'm saying don't put down you know with the fertilizer with that high nitrogen, it's just it could just kind of mess mess things up. That's all going to get the fertilizer on it too. Okay, I want to thank you for recommending Melorganite several years ago. It's 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 tremendous. I oh. just love it. I've never had anything better. Well, great. Well, thank you. Okay. Well, thanks an awful lot, Mike. Sir, yeah, my pleasure. And now let's go to University City and oh, let's go to Carol and Fenton. Hi, Carol. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, good morning. I have a similar question. I'm afraid to, to what the lady just asked. My husband put a pre-emergent down about a week and a half ago, but now we're, we've got clover in our yard, so we don't know what we should put down to kill the clover. Yeah, basically it's going to take something like Roundup because Roundup. if it's a, the classic type clover, it's going to be it has a huge, you know, hugely aggressive root system. The runners send all over the place. Mm-hmm. So a pre-emergent really wouldn't be effective against a clover anyway because it's really a perennial weed if it's a classic type clover. Now there are some types of clover, rabbit's foot clover, which is an annual cool season weed for the you know the pre-emergent but once the stuff's up even if it is you know one that's a cool season weed it's too late to be effective okay so round up right just go after it with something that's really going to and just be you know use it use it smartly let's put it that way okay okay thanks a lot certainly Bye-bye. and now let's go to mary and she lives in university city hi mary hi um i've called about this before i think but I planted three crepe myrtles last fall, and um, I was wondering again, when do they start to show signs of life? It could be another, you know, multiple weeks. Really? Yeah. Okay, so into April. Yeah, and sometimes even a little bit past that. Just It's going to be all weather dependent. 
The crepe right, myrtle, right. the Rosa Sharon, and the butterfly bushes, they're all summer bloomers. And sometimes weather dependent, they don't start showing, you know, let's say much growth at all, you know, uh-huh. for you know, until it really gets warm. Okay, so they'll leaf out, and then they won't bloom until summer. Right, exactly. Okay, and I'm assuming right now, since the weather's so wet, I shouldn't have to water them. Oh, heavens no. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> Definitely don't water. Okay, great. And what about fertilizing them? I, the label says to fertilize with a granular fertilizer. Yeah, that's fine if you want to. You can use a uh, one that you can mix up in a bucket and p- just pour it around it, and just okay. wait. Wait but not in- until wait a little while to do that too. Yeah, wait until the new growth starts. Uh, you know, you start to see the foliage buds emerge, and then fertilize them at that time. Okay, and this might sound like a dumb question, but what bloom are the? I mean, what color are the forsythia blooms? Yellow. Okay, that's what I thought they were. I know there's a white one too that I get confused with forsythia. Yeah, there is. Um, that's that's probably spirea. Spirea, right, right. It looks similar, but different color blooms. Right. Okay, okay. And last question: the squirrels, and I know people call in about this a lot, but they are really digging in the mulch that I put around the crepe myrtles, and I throw my coffee filters out there and coffee on there. It stopped them for a while, but now they're still digging. You know, little holes all around the mulch. And I just wondered if there's anything else I could put down to stop them. No, other than, you know, like a physical barrier, there's not really too much you can do. They're just digging there because it's easy digging, and you probably, either you have or a neighbor has oak trees, so they're probably planting acorns. Oh, yeah. I got a a bur oak in the front yard. Okay, so that's what they're doing. Even all year round they do that, huh? I thought, you know, it's not, we're not going into winter but they're still digging, hiding acorns and whatever. Yeah, they don't care. I mean, they they don't have anything else to do. Right. It's, it's yeah, sort of like people. Because they're really making lots of little holes in the, which is, they're not really hurting the plant. It's just mostly the mulch. They don't right. dig deep, so. Right. All right. Well, thanks a lot. And thanks for the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Keep and... working with them. Okay. <laughs> All right. Have a good weekend. Yes. Let's head out to Ellisville and go into Robert's yard. Hi, Robert. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hi. A quick question about... Uh, Dormant oil, mm-hmm. does it go bad or does it have a shelf life over the winter time? Uh, I could, it should be able to survive because it is, you know, it's a liquid, but it is an oil base. It's too late to right. put any kind of dormant oil on your plant material now, though. Right. What happened uh, back in the uh, midwinter, the big box stores didn't have any. And so I was finally able to get some from a local nursery that was opened on nicer days. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was about uh, late January. Uh, so I got it home, got it mixed up, got it sprayed. But it seemed like it had uh, maybe separated a little bit. Uh, I'm sure the contents of what, – what are the contents of dormant oil? Uh, Do you know offhand? No, I really don't. Okay. It's, it's a horticultural oil. So, I mean, uh, I'm assuming that you'd since it's a liquid, you shake it up. But uh, beyond that – yeah, I got it shook up. I got it mixed. I got it applied. That was about the middle of or first uh, week of February. So I know. Right. So that timing is perfect. Like over... Oops. Sorry. Cut out a little bit. Yeah, the timing is perfect, you know, as far as when you got it, you know, uh, you know, applied. Okay, great. Thanks for the answer. I was just checking on shelf life and if it uh, would be effective because the. Uh, Fruit trees that I have right now, they're blooming, and they look 
great. I right. just uh, want them to keep looking great this year. <laughs> well, good luck. Yeah, I Thank mean, uh, it should be fine. I would, you know, I I can't honestly say, but I would think that probably the nursery that's where you got it, you know, they probably get routinely, you know, new products in. So I don't think it's probably been there for decades or anything like that. So. Mike Miller, K, MYS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. We're in the studio here and just says, I was looking up the ceiling, and we had some stuff coming out of our air conditioning ducts. And I thought, what is that? But Cole explained to me, it's newspaper. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you any more or anything else. Anyway, let's head out to St. Charles and talk with Judy. Hi, Judy. Good morning. Hi. Question pertaining a very wet area in my yard. Uh, it's a little low line, but I also get runoff from a neighbor. I was wondering if a hardy willow would be a good option to help uh, soak up that water. You can certainly use a willow. Just understand that they get pretty big. The root system goes well beyond where you want it to. There are several other types of shrubs if you don't want a big tree in a situation like that. And what would those be? Well, there's an inkberry, which is a native to Missouri swamp areas. It's a type of holly. It doesn't look like the classic holly, but inkberry. There's red twig dogwood that can, you know, handle wet soil circumstance. So those two, or you can go to, if you want more plant materials that can handle the wet soil, go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and just put, you know, plants that can tolerate wet soil, and I'll give you a whole list of them. Great. Thank you very much. Certainly. Yeah, but the inkberry and the red twig dogwood, if you get the variegated red twig dogwood, it has bright red twigs during the wintertime when it has no leaves on it. In the summertime, it kind of looks like, you know, just just a white cloud. And now let's see. Why don't we head to Webster Groves and see what's going on with Karen. Hi, Karen. Hey, Mike. Um, I have a persistia bush, and it's about 10 feet tall, maybe 8 or 10 feet wide. Um, two or three weeks ago, you suggested clipping off a couple branches, putting them in a jar of water, and I got blooms out of them. But right now, my farsifia has maybe less than a dozen blooms. Do I want to take it out or just cut it back? It's a very old one. Yeah, you could try cutting it back and then see what happens you know, next year. But uh, what you could do is if you like it and it's, you know, because it has a history or whatever, you can get some new, smaller ones and just plant it if you don't mind having a bigger area filled with uh, forsythia. Okay. And All just right. plant them in, you know, in close proximity to the existing one. Okay. If I cut it back, how far off the ground do I want to cut it? Uh, you don't want to cut it severely, but uh, probably maybe, uh, let's say, two to three feet you know, after it finishes flowering, and just kind of keep your fingers crossed, see how many leaves come out, and just what's going to happen next year. Okay, great. Thanks, Mike. Yep, my pleasure. And now out to St. Peter's and into Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, I've got a question. Uh, I'm looking for a silver leaf linden tree. Apparently, there must not be much of a demand for them. I've called like a dozen nurseries in the St. Louis area. I did find one, but it's in a 15-gallon container, and it's over 15 feet tall. It's just bigger than I can handle. I don't know if there's no demand for them or what. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's little demand at all, you know. So if you found one, I'm surprised you even found that. You could look up. 
Yeah, go ahead. Oh, you could look online to see if there's some of the big production nurseries that have, you know, smaller ones that would ship them this time of year that might be bare root. Now they're going to be relatively, I mean, basically small. But, uh, you know, beyond that, I don't know. I mean, I, have you looked at the local nurseries out near St. Peter's? Oh, yeah. I've, I've got a whole list of, I've even went all the way up to Stark Brothers up oh, there. Oh, wow. 79. Okay. I've called. Probably, like I said, I did find one in uh, Kirkwood uh, on Barrett Station, which uh, he said he had one left from last year. And uh, like I said, it's more than I can handle. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's a huge tree. So, I mean, talking yeah. weight-wise and everything else. But, right. uh, I mean, there's not really too much. I mean, it's not a tree that has much demand, let's put it that way. Yeah, it's the... My mom is at a nursing home, and they've got a few of them planted around there, and uh, they're just beautiful. But I just for some reason, nobody has them. Right. Well, maybe you could the nursing home your mom's in, maybe you could take some pruners the next time you go, cut, take some cuttings off the trees, get some rooting hormone, and try to root some yourself. <laughs> That's how I found out what kind of tree it was. I did I did cut a branch off and took it to a nursery over by Creek Court, <laughs> and they knew exactly. <laughs> They knew exactly what I was as soon as I walked in. I said, they said, oh, we'll have, I did that last fall. And they mm-hmm. said, no, we'll have them in the spring. Well, they don't have them. <laughs> <laughs> but you could try anyway, again. <laughs> if somebody out there knows where one is, have them call in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, Dave, and good luck. And Alice Innsbruck, and that's where Patty lives. Hi, Patty. Hi. Hi. How are you? Very good. Um, I have a couple questions. I am, um, we have a problem with moss, and it's growing, like, all around our gravel road mm-hmm. at Innsbruck. And I was wondering how we can take care of that naturally. Nothing. There's nothing <laughs> you can do naturally, unnaturally, or anything else. Basically, you're kind of, that's just part of the environment, and that's what you, I mean, they've got some of these products, which in theory works on patios and things like that, but in a, you know, kind of in a natural setting, there's nothing that's going to do anything. Okay. Um, just scrape it, dig it, right? <laughs> and you're not going to get rid of it. It's going to be back. Come back. Okay. So it just don't, the green if it bothers you, don't look at it. <laughs> Put more gravel on it. Right. <laughs> and then okay. it'll come through Thank the ground. Okay, sorry. Okay. No, I have a couple more questions. Okay, you gotta do it quick. We only got about a minute or so left. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, how do we get rid of fungus and mushrooms in our yard? We ha- it always comes in our uh not at Innsbruck, but in our yard in Kansas City. Basically mushrooms and fungus and things like that grow on dead stuff. So there's either dead root systems underneath the ground from old trees. Or there's you haven't dethashed your lawn or you know things along that line. That's what you're looking at. Okay. So, and you can't really put anything on top of it, really. No, really nothing. Okay. I mean, go out there and kick them if you want to, but. <laughs> okay. And last question: um, I have an elephant put, put plant. It's you know a ponytail palm, whatever you want to call it. In the top part of it died, but Ooh. now there's three little you know, ponytail palms on the side or on the trunk of it. Right. How can I make plants from that? 
I uh, just I would say leave them alone. Don't try to cut them and try to root them and you know get them in a different pot or anything else. Just you know accept it as a, as it is. Okay, I really want to. I really want to separate it. Well, it's not. It's going to be a lot of work, and it's probably going to be unsuccessful. Well, you were telling somebody to use some kind of root something armor yeah with rooting hormone and things like that but ponytail palms is not an easy one to root let's so certain plants you can have success with but other ones it's just going to be a spinning of the wheels so but it looks so silly i can't have a top plant it grows on the side well it's unusual put a put a mask on it or something i'll I'll plant it out here at innsbruck thank you very much (laughs) Well, great. Well, thanks. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.